Amen. What's going on, guys? Glad we're here. Hey, go ahead, and if you've got a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 39, and we've actually got Bibles for you tonight. So if you're like, hey, I don't normally have a Bible or own a Bible or just want a new Bible, we got fresh, hot, out-the-oven Bibles for you tonight, CSB. These are worth like 20 bucks each, so you could like just sell it on the black market. You could do whatever you want with it, but no, we really would love for you to have a Bible. It's so important um, to have your own copy of God's Word. So if you want a copy, you've got one there. Genesis chapter 39. Last week, we started a series. TJ uh, started off our series uh, that we're calling Promises, looking at a guy in the Bible by the name of Joseph, and we're looking at his life and his story within Scripture. And, and TJ last week told us a big kind of point that, that really roots us in really the big theme of the Bible. And that is this, that Joseph is actually a part of a family that God chose, came down and actually chose to bless them. And said, I'm going to bless you and make, uh, make your numbers great. And also I'm going to use you to bless the nations. So what we see from this family in scripture, from the family of Abraham... In, the, in Genesis, as we see that God is beginning to restore all things. Like the world is broken because of sin, and now God is on a rescue mission to fix it. And he actually uses this guy named Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you, and through your family, I'm going to bless the world. And Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob, and then Jacob has many sons, and one of those names is, is Joseph. And we're looking at the life of of Joseph and how God is going to keep his promises to bless this family to end up blessing the world and actually end up you receiving blessing through God working through this plan. And we saw last week, like, what happens to Joseph. You guys remember? Joseph has a dream, right? Had some bad pizza the night before, has this crazy looking dream. It's actually a dream from God. And then he tells his brothers and his family, like, hey, I, I had this dream about God actually raising me up into a, a position of authority where you guys would actually come and actually bow down before me. And, and the brothers get pissed, and they hate him. It says hate filled their hearts towards Joseph. So what do they do? You remember? They plan to murder him, but then they decide to do what? They throw him in a pit, right? They find a hole, and they throw their brother into him. And then they're like, okay, we actually shouldn't kill him, but we'll tell our dad that we killed him, and we'll just sell him off to slavery. I don't know how your week's going, but it probably wasn't as sucky as Joseph's. Like, the dude Joseph is having a pretty, pretty terrible week. And all of this is happening when God actually promised to bless him to bless the world. And yet Joseph's life looks kind of like a roller coaster. And we're actually going to see tonight in Genesis chapter 39 that this roller coaster of his life continues. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you how the story is going to go tonight. And then we're going to read it for ourselves. Joseph is walking his in chains away from his homeland. He's going to be sold as a servant. And then things are going to start to turn around for Joseph. But then he's going to be tempted to have sex with his boss's wife. And eventually, he's going to be thrown into prison. He's thrown into another pit. This is Joseph's life. 
And all of this is happening. This continually roller coaster of a life through suffering and trials is all happening even though God promised to bless him. And I think tonight, guys, as I'm thinking about and wrestling with this story, I think this story actually shows us what it means to be blessed by God. Have you ever, have you ever wondered, like, what does it look like to actually, like, live a life that's blessed? We live in a culture that talks about blessings from God a lot. And tonight through this story, I actually think we are going to see what it actually means for God to bless you. And so let's continue in the story. Let's read how it plays out. Let's figure out what happens in Joseph's life. So Genesis chapter 39, say you got it if you're there. Got it, sick. It's going to be on the screens too, I think. Here we go. Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt, and an Egyptian named Potiphar, an official of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guards brought him from the Ish- bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him there. And verse two says, "The Lord was with Joseph." Now, pause there. If you've got a pen, just go ahead and underline that, circle it in your Bible. For some of you, you're like, "I don't want to mark up my Bible." Get over it. Underline that. We're going to come back to it. The Lord was with Joseph, and what happened? And he became successful man serving in the, in the household of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master. And he became a personal attendant to Potiphar. Also, and Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From that time, he put him in charge of the household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed him. The Egyptian's house, he blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned and in the house and in the fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. And he did not concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. Joseph was sold into slavery. This is kind of a concept This might be radical to us. But Joseph was actually sold. His life was just a couple of shekels. That's what he was worth. And he was sold into slavery, forgotten, left for dead by his family. Completely forgotten. His dad thinks he's dead. Life is going on. But something happened. In verse 2 it says, The Lord, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, that showed up to Abraham, showed up to Jacob, showed up to Isaac, that God was with him. And what was the result, this is important, what was the result of the Lord being with him? That's what verse 2 says. Yahweh was with him. And what happened because Yahweh was with Joseph? It says he was blessed. Everything that he did was successful. Can you imagine? Like, imagine if someone looked at you and was like, everything you're going to do, you will be successful at. Isn't that crazy? Wouldn't you just try a bunch of new things? It says literally everything that Joseph did, he was successful at. I mean, look at verse 3. Made him everything that he did. He was successful. He put him in charge of his entire house. The Lord blessed Joseph and actually blessed Joseph so much that it blessed who he was working for. Potiphar, the dude who owned the house, who owned the fields, 
He was being blessed just because Yahweh was present with him. You start to see God fulfilling his promise, don't you? What was the promise at the beginning? That I would bless you and your family and your family would be a blessing to the nations. We start seeing God fulfill his promise. But then something happens. Don't you hate that in the story? Everything's going good. Things are turning around for Joseph. God's blessing him, and then something happens. And we read about it in verse 6. Verses 6 through 10, this is what happens. Potiphar left everything he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except for the food to the A. And then the second part of verse 6. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. Well, good for you, Joseph. I'm 5'9". But he was well built, apparently, and handsome. And after some time, his master's wife, so Potiphar's wife, looked longingly at Joseph and said, sleep with me. Not beating around the bush there. Sleep with me. In verse 8, but he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, with me here, my master has not concerned himself with anything to... Uh, has not concerned himself with anything in his house. He's put me under, he's put me over all that he owns, under my authority. No one in the house is greater than I. He has withheld nothing from me except for you because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil? How could I sin against God? Things are turning around for Joseph. God is blessing him. We're seeing his position change. He's no longer a slave in prison, but he's actually in charge and authority over this dude's house. And God is beginning to bless him. And then what happens? Temptation comes knocking at his door. Have you ever felt that way? Like you felt like you were getting right, like you were on the right path with God, like you were doing the right things. God was placing you in a good place. You felt close to God. You felt like you were pursuing God. And then all of a sudden, like God starts speaking to you, starts drawing you near him, and then what happens? Right when you feel like you are growing closer to God and God is about to use your life, he's putting you in a position of leadership, what happens? Temptation. The enemy tries to derail what God is doing. The enemy tries to, to set up Joseph to, to fall into sin. Have you ever noticed like in those moments where you're closest to God, that's where temptation begins to creep in and become stronger? It's because the enemy wants, does not want you to pursue the plan that God has for you. The enemy wants you to sin. It wants to separate you from the presence of God. It wants to derail God's plan for your life. That's what the enemy wants to do. And it always comes with thinking that it's a good thing. Like, oh yeah, do this, this will be good. But really the enemy is trying to derail what is best for you and that is being a part of God's will and God's plan. But what does Joseph do in the middle of temptation? She says, sleep with me. And what, what does it say in verse eight? But he refused. He refused. He said, he said no. He's choosing God over this sin that's right in front of him. And then as it continues in verse 10, what happens? He, he flees temptations. He says no. And then what happens? Does temptation get lighter for him? 
Verse 10. No, although she spoke to Joseph day after day. Day after day. Man, it's, it is easy sometimes to like say no to the, no, the thing that you know exactly is wrong in that quick moment. Like if I'm on a diet and someone offers me like a cupcake and I know I'm supposed to be eating healthy, I'm like, no, man, I'm just trying to like, trying to cut down on the carbs and the frosting, cutting down on the Taco Bell recently, praise the Lord. And I'm like, no, I don't want the cupcake. But they offer again, like, come on, bro. Like, no one, no one cares. Take the cupcake. Like, no, 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 no. But imagine if someone doesn't leave you alone and day after day after day, temptation is right in your face. But what does Joseph do in the middle of temptation? Day after day, she's speaking to him. She's saying, hey, have sex with me. Have se- no, no one's watching. It's not even in the house. No one's going to know about this. It's not a big deal. Let's just hook up. It's just one time. And what does Joseph do? Verse 10. He refused to go to bed with her. He refused. Now, this is actually an interesting word, and I think this is important. The word refuse means Joseph, in the, in the original Hebrew language, it says, he did not shema her. Shema means to hear, but not just like, oh, it goes like one ear and out the other, like math class. Like, shema means to like, you hear it, and it goes to your heart. You think about it, you dwell on it, and then it actually, once you hear it, you actually obey it. So, so what this text is saying is like, day after day, she was speaking to Joseph, and day after day, he did not listen. He boxed it out. He, he closed his ears. Joseph refused. He did not obey. How, how do you continually, day after day, refuse something, temptation that is so strong? And sexual temptation is like some of the strongest of temptation. How does he say no day after day? How does he not listen to this evil that the enemy is tempting him with? It's because he was listening to another voice. There was one voice in his ear saying, sleep with me. But there was another voice that Joseph was listening to. Not only was he refusing, he was actually rooting himself in a better relationship. In verse 9, he said, how can I do this immense evil? How can I sin against God? See, listen, the first step to fighting temptation, yes, is to refuse temptation. But honestly, that's not enough. You have to refuse temptation and turn away and actually root yourself in a better relationship. And that's what Joseph is doing. He's comparing having sex with his boss's wife to relationship with God. How can I do this immense evil and sin against God? He's rooting himself in what he knows is good, what he knows is better, what he knows is going to provide blessing in his life, and it is not couple minute hookup. He's rooting himself in what he knows is true in his relationship with God. And then temptation, you would think like, oh, he's refused enough. 
mean, he's going to get a break. In verse 11, he doesn't, and the, the temptation goes from just like, like verbal temptation to like physical temptation. Read here in verse 11. Now one day he went into the house to do his work and none of the household servants were there. That's a bummer. Verse 12, and she grabbed him by his garment and said, sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. So what temptation becomes like to this boiling point for Joseph, and and maybe you're like, I don't even struggle with sexual temptation. It can be a lot of things that are tempting you that get to a point where it's like, this is unbearable. And what does he do? He takes off, right? He just, just runs. She grabs him, literally, and Egyptians would be wearing like this like skirt thing, with like a, a, a really other small thing called a loincloth over that. And, and she grabs him by the garment and is like, sleep with me. And, and now he's at a point where he's like, I've refused, I've refused, I've refused. And now he's like, ah, and he just takes off. And he runs outside without his garment. The dude is like out in public in his neighborhood with no pants on. The dude's got nothing probably but a loincloth on. Joseph, in this moment, is probably stripped of his pride. He could be humiliated. People are seeing he could be embarrassed. And yet, this was the best thing that he could be feeling right now. I think some of us, including myself, we need to strip ourselves of the pride that we have thinking that we can overcome sin by standing right next to it. Like there's, there's sin in our life and oftentimes our pride will say, yeah, I just, I can overcome this by, by standing next to this and just being strong. Joseph has no pride. He's got no pants on. Humiliate. Jesus says something like, I think of the saying where Jesus says, uh, like, it's better that you would cut out your eye than to commit adultery with it. Why? Because it's better to enter into the kingdom of heaven with one eye rather than have two eyes and go to hell. Basically, it's like, it's better to have weakness and like be stripped of your pride and still pursue the things of God rather than to have pride and fall into sin. Guys, running away from sin is not a sign of weakness. Removing yourself from sin is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. It's actually a sign of maturity in your life. Man, I wish there were moments in my life where I would have been weak enough in moments of sexual temptation, in moments of like different temptation in my life, to not have the pride, but to have the humility to, go, to run away from that and go to someone else and say, hey, I need help. Hey, I need to remove myself from this situation and, and I need to position myself in a place of help. Man, it is not weakness to bring other people in into your struggle with sin. The best thing you can do 
is to flee and remove yourself from that situation. Sometimes the best thing to do is to delete the app on the phone, to close your laptop, to go for a walk, to get out of your apartment, to get yourself around other people. Sometimes that is the strongest move that you can do. Joseph just takes off. He knows his humanity. He knows his limits, and he, he, he obeys God by just getting out of that situation. And, and here's like where I think it's leading us to our main point here. Joseph pursues God. He does the right thing, right? Nod your head. He does the right thing. Runs away from sexual temptation. Doesn't sleep with another dude's wife. Thumbs up. Point for Joseph. And what happens? What happens in verse 13? This is what he does. Does the right thing. How does he get repaid? Verse 13. When she saw that he had left his garment with her and he had run outside, she called her house, hold servants, and said, look. She said to him, my husband brought a Hebrew man to make fools of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me, and I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. Verse 16, she put Joseph's garment beside her until her master came home, his master. Then she told him the same story. This dude that you brought into our house tried to make a fool of me. But when I screamed for help, he left his garment beside me, and he ran outside. And when his master heard this story that his wife told him, that this was the things that your slave did to me. He was furious. And he had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. The worst of the worst. So Joseph was there in prison. He does the right thing and what happens? He gets thrown in prison. He pursues godliness. He obeys. And he gets thrown in prison. He still suffers even though he chooses to do like the right path. What happened? This is my question for tonight, guys. This is kind of the big idea. What happened to God's promise that Joseph would be blessed? Like, didn't God say, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing to the nation? And he goes from a pit to things turning around into a position, and now he's back in a pit in prison. Here's what I think we need to do to understand this story. I think we need to redefine what we think blessing is. I think we need to dive deeper to truly understand what does it mean for you to be blessed by God. So I've got an illustration for you tonight, and Corey's going to come up and grab that ladder for me. And he's going to bring it up to the stage. Very methodical. Thanks, Corey. Everyone give it up for Corey. That's perfect. Uh, a little closer, actually. This way. Actually, over here. Yeah, that's money. Thank you. Thank you. Is that good? Can you guys see this? Can you see what this says? What does it say? Cool. And what's the thing at the top say? Cool. I spelled it right, I think, I hope. All right. So we live in a culture that sees, can I stand here, Burke? Does this work? We, we live in a culture where we believe that position equals blessing, right? So you, you've heard the phrase like climbing the ladder of success, correct? 
You've heard this? Like, you take a step, and you're going to climb the ladder. If I fall, this is going to be really embarrassing. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to climb the ladder of success. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it. I'm going to make it to the top. All these things about, like, once you get up to this position, then what happens, right? You make it to the top, and then what happens? Then you receive blessing, right? I feel like blessings keep falling in my lap. You know? Like DJ Khaled, like, yeah, I'm blessed. Like, you make it to the top. You get the job. You get the money. You get that position. You advance in your career. You advance in your team. You advance in your class. And you make it up here. And you're like, yep. Everyone's like, hey, great job. And you're like, I'm just, just blessed. Just feeling blessed today. Find a $5 bill on the ground. You're like, oh, I'm blessed. Your position changes, and that's where we think, like, up here in this position in life, this is where we receive blessing. But here's, here's the problem with thinking like that, and here's the problem with our culture viewing this, and here's the problem in the story of Joseph. What happens when your position, fa- like, when it fails, when you lose the job and you get knocked down a position? When, when you lose all your money, you're like, oh, crap. When things start going really bad in your life and your position in life changes, family issues, different things in school that aren't going your way, bills that have to be paid, what do we start thinking? We think that God's blessing has been removed, right? We start going down and we're like, we're getting further from blessing. God, like we say things like, man, I just, I feel like God's just not blessing me recently. I feel like I'm just cursed, the opposite of blessing. The problem with this type of thinking in our culture, what happens when things go wrong? But we're going to see like in this story, I believe that blessing does not equal the position you are in life. Like your advancement in life, your position in life, your circumstances in life do not dictate whether God is blessing you. And in this story, we see that Joseph's position was taken away, right? Joseph was was receiving blessing, and what happens? He does the right thing, and yet he gets thrown into jail. His position has changed And according to this, blessing has left his life, right? He's going down in position, therefore blessing will stop, according to our culture, according to the way that we often think. But this is not how the story works. And look at verse 21, because I think it's the most important verse that we're going to look at tonight. What happens with Joseph? He's thrown back into prison, and yet what happens? Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and the Lord, the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him with favor with the prison ward. Verse 22, the warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under justice authority, and he was responsible for everything that was done there. And then that last verse, um, I think in verse 23, and the warden did not bother with anything under justice authority. Look at this. Because the Lord was with him, and the Lord made everything that he did successful. 
the Lord was, where was Joseph? In prison. His position was at the lowest of lows. And yet, what does it say in verse 21? Who was with him? The Lord. And what happens when the Lord was with him? He was successful. He was blessed. Everything that he did, God was blessing through him. This this is the radical change that I think we need to, to make. Because it wasn't his position that determined blessing, right? It wasn't that he, almost tripped. It wasn't that he was up here and he was receiving blessing. He was down here and yet he was receiving blessing, right? Position does not determine whether or not you are blessed by God. What determines whether or not you are blessed by God is God's presence. Verse 21, the Lord was with him. So no matter where Joseph went, whether God raised him up into a high position or brought him into the lowest of lows as a slave, as a servant, God was with him. And this is true blessing. Blessing was, all right, I'm done with that. Corey, you can bring this. Thanks, Corey. Appreciate it, man. It was not his position that determined blessing. It was God's presence with him. Give it up for Corey one more time. Oh, blessing. It wanted to follow me. That was a pity laugh. Guys, here's, here's, here's kind of the big focus for tonight, and we're done. I think we need to take a, like, serious moment in our lives right now and refocus our eyes. I think we need to take a focus off of pursuing position in the world. Like whatever position that may be in your life. I think we need to take a moment and take our eyes off of like trying to climb the ladder, looking for God to bless us, looking for that next thing to actually like fulfill us, looking for the next thing that's gonna like, okay, now God is gonna receive blessing. I think we need to take our focus off of the position and we need to take all of our focus and put it into pursuing God's presence in our life. Not pursuing position, but pursuing God's presence in our own life. Because if that is what determines blessing, which it was true for Joseph, no matter whether he was sitting in Potiphar's house or sitting in jail, God was with him and God blessed him. Man, should we not, if that is the thing that matters most, should we not just pursue God's presence with all that we have? And I think if we take our eyes off of the the positions whether we rise or fall in our circumstances, whether they're good or really sucky right now, I think if we take our eyes off like the immediate circumstances and begin to look at who God is and who God has offered himself to be for us, I think our lives will be so much more free of anxiety, so much more free of pressure, so much more free to actually receive and see the blessing that God has in front of us. You have to know your future right now. I don't, I don't know where all of you are at. It is impossible for me to, to know where you're at. 
But I need to tell all of you, your future is not dependent on your position right now, whether it's good or whether it's bad. The only thing that dictates your future is God's presence in your life. Because positions lie, but God's presence is eternal. Like, I mean, you think of like all the characters in the Bible who had really terrible positions. Daniel was in a lion's den. Not great position to be in. Finna get torn up by lions. But what happened? But God was with him. Moses, up against Pharaoh and the Egyptian army. But what happened? But God was with him. Story after story about people whose positions looked like they were the worst in the world, and yet their future was not dictated by their current circumstance, but God's presence in their life. I think of Jesus on the cross after being tortured in the worst position anyone could ever be in, hung and nailed on a cross, not for something he did wrong, but actually on a cross for your sin and for my sin. Can you imagine? Unjustfully arrested and unjustfully crucified on a cross. This is not a good position for the Son of God to be in. And yet his future was not determined by his position. Because Jesus would die on that cross and be buried in a tomb. Tombs are not really a good place to be. No going out of a tomb, right? But his future was not determined on his position on earth. The future of Christ was determined by God's plan and God's presence. And we learn that three days in a tomb, God actually raised Jesus from the dead. Through God's spirit, breathed life into him. And Jesus was raised from the dead, defeating death, now being a sacrifice, now being a a way that you can receive forgiveness, a way that you can receive new life so that you don't have to live in sin anymore but can walk in newness of life. This happened because God was with him and God's spirit breathed him into life. And what happens on Jesus' last day? Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is looking at those who follow him And he says, go, make disciples, spread the good news. I'm giving the mission of God's rescue mission for the world to you. And what does he say? Behold, I am with you always. God doesn't tell them what their position is going to be. He tells them his presence will always be with them. Imagine if we lived like God like we actually believed that God was with us in every moment. Imagine if this moment on, for the rest of your life, day after day, you walked into every circumstance believing that the God of the universe lived inside of you. Man, I don't know if I would be afraid to walk up to a stranger and share the gospel with them. Man, I don't know if I truly believed that the God of the universe lived inside of me, that I would give in to that temptation. Man, we've got to know that God's presence is what dictates our future, not our position in the world.
man, if you are here tonight and you're wondering, what does a blessed life look like? How do I receive blessing? Know this, it will never come from a position you hold on earth. It's all about is God's presence with you and God's presence, a holy, perfect God who cannot be in the presence of sin is offering you eternal life, is offering you a relationship with the God of the universe. He's offering it to you as a free gift. Man, if we turn away from our sin, believe that Jesus died in our place, we choose to follow him, God says, I will give you life eternal and life forever. Behold, I'm with you always. Isn't that good news for us tonight, that God's presence will be with us always? It's not about position in the world. It's all about God's presence in our life. So let's pursue that with all that we've got. Let's pursue God's presence in our life. Let's pray.